Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the smoothest glass of Amarillo for your mind, that being Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I'm half of your hosts, Nicholas Lorimer, and I'm joined, as ever, by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Krauser. Deep, deep, so deep, deep. we are recording on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Uh, we had a wonderful uh, uh, staff gathering thingy on Friday, which is very nice. Got to see everyone in the flesh, because... Uh, some of you may or may not be aware we do no longer have an office so we don't get to see our colleagues uh fleshy faces very often and uh it was very delightful i must say Get it on. really was so sweet eh? yeah. it uh it was at the johannesburg country club which is right next door to where our office used to be yeah. and it's so beautiful these long open fields and the big trees and we're in the thing. and it was raining through most of it but we were undercover so it was like a it felt kind of isolated from the world as though the rain was like a curtain sort of enveloping us and uh it was absolutely and it wasn't delightful. cold or heavy it was just yeah no, somehow that, refreshing that's the best part is it just made it fresh rather than cold um except our colleague in bali who uh uh is always cold no matter what i've shared an office with her and you know <laughs> would be sweltering in the heat of midsummer and she'd be wearing a jacket it's completely impossible to share an office with her. <laughs> I'd be sitting there, sort of sweat just pouring down my face. And then she'd be like, no, don't turn on the aircon. It's too cold. <laughs> anyway, not having an office, we no longer have these problems. Uh, she was the only one who complained of cold. <laughs> but anyway, that's how it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was also kind of special because it was the first time that i mean we yeah you've got this in-person reunion and then we've got this transition of ceos from yes. france crenier yes. who's been who uh listeners would have heard uh, uh, on the show recently he's been at this irr for 18 years that's crazy he's a young man but he started yes so soon and he's handing it over to john endress and it was great to just feel again how comfortable everyone is with that it's such a rare yeah. and wonderful thing. No, it was, it's, it's, I must say it's been a very nice transition. Uh, mm. I think, I think there are many organizations that probably wish they could have such a smooth transition. <laughs> of, of yeah. Power. Yeah. Um, and and uh, especially, I mean, some people might not know the free market foundation uh, used to be chaired by Herman Mishraba uh, is pretty close with the Institute. They're libertarian. Yeah. Uh, well, we don't exactly agree with them on everything. Classical liberal, but I don't think we've ever had like a proper, proper sort of bloody fight with them ever. No, I criticized Leon Lowe once on the minimum wage because he was like, "There should never be a minimum wage," and I was like, "Dude, the data doesn't agree. Some minimum wages are but, okay." Yeah, no, they're probably. Like, are, yeah, they're probably. He did not shout like, you, damn true. commie. <laughs> but yeah i know we know a lot of people who work there and podcasters with piyaki and you've hosted chris hutting and yeah chris hutting and it's, we've had yeah we had lots of good stuff anyway and so we're pretty close with them and they have just having the worst transition issues it's like existential nightmare they might not exist in a year kind of a thing yeah which is very sad um so we hope that they uh, recover from the current issues that they're having um but enough talking shop about the ngo world because i'm sure our listeners aren't that fascinated by the world of ngos and uh we should probably talk about the what's this thing again i've heard of it you know it's just like this little oh right omicron mm. <laughs> 
which is uh oh my the latest, the latest version of COVID. it's also i uh, i've taken to calling it uh south africa virus 2 electric boogaloo um because <laughs> once again south africa has managed to produce another variant that's gotten the whole world's knickers in a bunch and um yeah so there's a lot of politics that's happened around this in a very short space of time most of which involves the entire world telling South Africa to go away and not come visit them, <laughs> um, which is, uh, you know, I, I think my aunt was quoted in the media recently by talking about how this would be bad for South Africa and uh, how, uh, yeah, she's not too happy about it. But uh, Gabriel, uh, you want to make a good point about this and one which I think I agree with. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I, I've got to say, Hold on to your hats. I th I think I I feel like no one. I feel like it's one of those weekends where I just can't. It's like I disagree with everyone. <laughs> uh, Gabriel's about to reveal that he's some kind of crypto commie nationalist. Wants to close all the borders. You goddamn monster, dude! I'm a radical centrist. <laughs> so travel bans don't work. Is like one of the memeiest lines uh of the last couple of days um it's it's not true travel bans do it, work yeah it's really just not true in fact it's arguable that they're literally the only thing that works no so vaccines definitely work oh yeah vaccines here's, work sure here's what we depends. know in order of what works convalescence works the best we know this the data is in if you get sick and you recover that is the best protection Second well, look, best it depends. Vaccine, on, on, on. third it best depends. protection, travel bans. It depends on what you mean by work, right? If your goal is COVID zero, which still appears to be the goal of many uh, people making policy, despite the fact that they don't say that they're working towards COVID zero, uh, then travel bans are the only things that work because vaccines don't get you to COVID zero. Masks don't get you to COVID zero. Social distancing, lockdowns, all these things don't get you to COVID zero. But at least for a while, you can keep COVID at zero if you have travel bans, particularly if you're an island, right? So that's true. It's also something that I've been trying to push back against, though, because one of the arguments is some places already have Omicron. And it's also the case that a lot of successful countries that implemented travel bans did get some cases, but then right. they managed to deal with it. So I just yeah. want to rewind the clock. So I was listening to like BBC Four or something. Dude, and someone was on there saying travel bans are racist. And I was like, we have come back Listers, to the beginning. This is the beginning. Let's just can't see my face. But it's just, oh, no. <laughs> oh, Dude, on. we have literally, the first issue with COVID was that the WHO was still pretending that there was no human-to-human -human transmission. And Beijing was still pretending there's no human-to-human -human transmission, while Singapore was implementing travel bans against people flying from Wuhan and then from China more generally. Yeah. And Taiwan then, was basically out of the gate with this. And, and Taiwan was the very first. Then, and but Taiwan is not a country, Nick. You're not allowed to think about Taiwan. <laughs> Don't you dare say that. <laughs> so then, before the WHO declared this, a pandemic or declared this a public health emergency of international concern, a P-A-E-I-H. Before they even did that, 
like 30 countries had implemented travel bans. No, this is like almost all Far East. I think Australia and New Zealand were part of it, but it's mainly like Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, um, Vietnam, uh, uh, not Lao because they Laos is too like weird, but I think Cambodia, like a whole bunch of those countries around there had implemented a travel ban. Then the WHO declares P public health interest of international concern. Donald Trump puts a travel ban against China and the meme explodes. Travel bans are racist. No one is paying attention to the fact that travel bans have already been implemented all over the Far East because... First, by countries which are majority Chinese. <laughs> Singapore and Taiwan are both majority Chinese countries. Like Han Chinese. Like if you want to get racy, like racy Chinese. Like not like, like round eye, like... Like, anyway, so that was properly Meshuggah. We started out with travel bans are racist, and we finally come full circle. We finally have literally learned not the first thing about coronavirus. Now, if you look at the successes... Sorry, just, can, I, can, I, yeah. can I go on a brief tangent here? This is completely pointless, but this is precisely why before COVID, I was never afraid of a meteorite coming from space because I was like, ah, the world will get together. We have technology that could probably save us from now, I'm not so sure. The Chinese and the Russians would try and extort everyone else for money or they'd build rockets that didn't work. The West would insist that we had a gender diversity, racial diversity committee to decide whether we're actually going to shoot the rocket or whether it's better for Mother Earth to simply receive the rocket to its, to its bosom. It would be <laughs> so stupid and awful and i and by the time we're all finished arguing the rock would be about five centimeters from earth so anyway i i must say yeah, i did, despair I, for our ability I, to deal with calamity i wanted to share this with you but um last week actually i saw a piece in reuters that some dudes have like launched a thing into space to to try and like there's an asteroid that's not actually going to hit earth but it's close enough that they can do a practice run to like blow something up next to it to try and change its course and then I read a follow-up article, and it wasn't looking so good. <laughs> like we might, well, like well. we might miss. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you posted. I was literally, anyway, I thought of you, you immediately. Saying. Okay, so, 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 so let's just let's just let's just get some things. So, one of the there's two there's two important points. One is that, um. There are lots of studies about what kinds of interventions have made what kinds of difference. And most of these studies are pretty garbage. And I'm not saying that because I disrespect scientists. I think it's the nature of science that you've got to produce a lot of like bad versions of the idea to get a good version bad. Which is what yeah, the I think it's because it can be summarized as science is actually pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. So, and Johnny United, you only this, I always say his name wrong, he's like world's most cited scientist, became the world's most cited scientist because he did a meta study of meta studies where he basically found that like most of the most cited and famous studies couldn't be repeated and there's actually lots of contradictory evidence and it kind of doesn't always work. It's really, really difficult. Anyway, but there have been a lot of studies on travel bans and... There have been meta studies, that is studies about those studies, like, okay, you know, trying to 
Now you've got a bunch of scientists. All they're doing is reading the other studies, seeing if the questions are well formulated, seeing if the data has been well gathered, seeing if the controls have been well implemented, seeing if the results are being p-hacked, which is to say you're designing the thing in a way that you're going to get the result that you're looking for, or seeing whether there's a genuine informational uh, upshot. And the way that these meta studies are done, it's like you you have to set up the rules for your meta study before you begin analyzing the literature. So that you yourself aren't p-hacking, so that you yourself aren't like halfway through deciding some funny criteria to exclude stuff on. And the two biggest meta studies, one was published, peer-reviewed published meta studies. One's in the British British Medical Journal, and the other one is was the Cochrane Report. The Cochrane Report is more like um like the evidence is coming out in favor of travel bans, but it's pretty weak. And the British, the BMJ one was like, the evidence is strong that travel bans are effective, but in terms of knowing how effective, it's kind of weak. And so, like, it ranges from like, they're like, the data is fully consistent with them being 90% effective. And they, and let's break that down in terms of time. So you can delay the peak by four months and reduce the severity by 80%. To the least effective thing consistent with the evidence is that you delay the peak by three weeks and you reduce the effectiveness by like 40%. You reduce the severity by 40%. So, I mean, the one thing, you know, coming from here, and that is like the best thing you can do is a meta study. Once something, once you've got proper studies that are then being gathered up into a meta study, then it's, that is the gold standard of science. So the gold standard of science is either like, Maybe probably these things work or like these things definitely work and we don't know if they work super duper well or quite well as a very general matter. Then if you start drilling down, you find the co-variables which distinguish the cases where it's like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't from the cases where it's like this definitely works. And first co-variable is geography. If you're an island, that's totally helping you. Uh, second co-variable is your general international traffic. Third co-variable, which maybe is the second co-variable, is how good your border control is. Um, right. So SA, not so good. Yeah. So SA, would this would be a rubbish place to try. If if we were worried about something coming from Africa, this would be just a completely rubbish place to try and do anything about it because right, you can walk you can over just, the border. Yeah. Uh, and when there's not a lot of rain, it's even easier because there's no crocodiles. <laughs> yeah. So... So that's the first thing, that the science is in. Like, I'm not saying it's complete. It's never complete. We don't know which covariable matters more. Um, we don't know very well. Like, some studies suggest that if you've got uh, basically, like, the, I think the thing intuitively that makes most sense to people is like, well, you should never have an outright ban. Someone should be forced to produce a negative test at the airport of departure and then on arrival, go into quarantine and then stick around for a week and then get tested again. And if they're negative, they can circulate. And if they're positive, they've got to go back home or stick around where they are, whatever. And then the other option is you just can't come. Uh, so there is there is some evidence to suggest that those are actually quite different, which is to say, you know, if you just can't come, it's like kind of 100% effective. But if you can do this testing thing, people don't always do the quarantine thing well. You know, some of it slips through. 
Um, well, some of it seems to be the fact that they basically say, I mean, go and sit in a hotel um, and some countries say at your own expense. Yeah. And also don't go out, which <laughs> doesn't seem like a system. It seems like a cheap way to do it, but not a very effective way to do it. So, no. So I think it is very effective, but it's not perfectly effective. And so right. I think it's not it as effective as, yeah. Yeah. As just saying no one can come. So, and and there we don't know. Like, I wish we had good enough. I looked through the 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 meta studies to try and find studies that would clearly disambiguate those differences. And it kind of became a bit of a swampy mess. So that's a bummer. Okay. So that's the one side, like, in general, the science is in. There's lots more to figure out. But, like, literally, it's like we know convalescence works. Not perfectly, but it works pretty well. We know va vaccines work, not perfectly, but they work pretty well. We know travel bans work, not perfectly, but they work pretty well. The WHO goes against this because literally this was the first disagreement between it and major epidemiologists around the world who were like, you must definitely do travel bans. Governments around the world were implementing travel bans. And the WHO was like, no, you can't do that. It's racist. China doesn't want that. And this was at a time when the WHO was the most awkwardly complicit with Beijing's malfeasance. And they've never recovered from that position. So their official position is that lockdowns don't work. I I will say this. I asked Ivo Fachter, who's a writer for the Daily Friend that we work with, who wrote a piece saying lockdowns don't work. I was like, dude, what? give me one study to support your view. He sent a study from April 2020. Like, it's a pretty garbage study. It's, it's even for the time. There's so much evidence that's come in since then. It's using assumptions about how this thing spreads that have clearly been shown not to be true, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's like he he initially didn't even feel like he needed to provide a study because the WHO said it doesn't work, and he believes the WHO. And I think that's kind of reasonable. Like it's reasonable for a layman to trust the WHO because this is the world superbody of like medical expertise, and the world superbody of ex medical expertise say travel bans don't work. But there is proper scientific evidence, many, many studies showing that that's not true, firstly. And secondly, this particular issue of travel bans, the WHO politicized from the first word. Um, so that's why I don't, that's why I like, I'm not an anti-authoritarian. Like, I, th I think you must trust, until it's been broken, you should trust the fancy pantsers that are sitting in the high towers because there's a reason they got there. And if the system works, it means the reason is they know something you don't. You know, they've got skills and they've spent decades learning and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I want to trust the WHO. But on this issue, I definitely don't. Um, okay, so that's the first side of it. The second side of it is, why do travel bans work? Viral load. We all know, as a matter of common intuition, and it's perfectly solid, historic, uh, biology, and it's demonstrated in the case of COVID, that if you've got one virion, one little coronavirus coming into you, what? then you almost have one bad hombre. One bad hombre gets in there, you're not getting sick. Like, all your odds of getting sick are like one in a million. You need quite a few coming in, and then it's worse. And if you've got lots coming in, then it's much worse. So, like in South Africa, we talked about this in like April last year. A whole bunch of young doctors died, tragically, who were 
investigating the coronavirus because they broke some vials in the laboratory and it leaked and they had like very intense viral loads. So even though they're young, fit, healthy people, it it killed them. If you or I, if the if the most vaccinated, youngest, healthiest, convalescent person gets enough viral load, it'll kill them. Right. And and so uh, that's also presumably possibly why the Chinese doctor who first sort of blew the whistle on COVID may have died from COVID. Uh, he was also a fairly young dude, but I think he was in his like early 40s or, or, or late 30s. Yeah. He was not diabetic. He was not obese. He was, yeah, was, he was all looking good, but he got super high viral load. So viral load, and the, but then viral load needs to be broken down into two things. One is the initial viral load, as in how many virions do you get in the first go? But then the second is how many imported virions do you get while you're sick? So one of the really good reasons to quarantine once you're sick is that you don't want to be exposed to someone else that you might give it to. But another reason is if someone else has it and they keep giving you the virus, then that's not great because your viral load is permanently being augmented. It's like you start out with like 10,000 virions and then every day you're getting 10,000 more, 10,000 more, 10,000 more. That's also really bad. So the same holds for the body politic. I'm using... Uh, an analogy format of of the body politic and the and the human animal body, which dates back to Plato and Socrates. Um, sometimes the analogy doesn't work, and you've got to be careful about it. But I really think it works in this case, based on the first stuff I was saying about the science being in on it, as it were. Uh, and here the point is that if you get, if you start out with five cases, and then you get no more cases then even a country as rubbish as South Africa could maybe deal with a virus in basically like a zero COVID kind of way. And why is that? It's through contact tracing. Now, it, most people have this wrong idea of contact tracing where they're like, the government has to do it. Like really sophisticated governments in South Korea do really amazing contact tracing. Where like, you know how in South Africa you go to a restaurant, you've got to write down your phone number. And no one writes down their actual phone number because they know it's just going to be sold to some data hacker who's going to make <laughs> like rubbish phone calls. And even I if do you do write down, so I do write down my right one, but that's also because my phone number is got so many spammers already. It's like, what's one more? You know, they keep each other company. Yeah, and you don't go out. <laughs> that's yes, well, you know, I don't go to enough restaurants. That's a fair enough point. But. But I don't know anyone who's ever been phoned by a restaurant like, oh, you know, we heard there was a case at this restaurant and you were at the restaurant at the same day. So, like, you should go get tested or something. So that kind of sophisticated level contact tracing, like you were in the pick and pay and someone else was in the pick and pay that was positive. Like, they can do that in South Korea because they're really sophisticated. We can't do that here. But contact tracing is also just a normal thing. Like, when I got COVID, the first thing I did was feel very sad. And then the second thing I did was phone the three people I'd seen in the last week to tell them they need to watch out, they need to stay away from other people and they should probably get tested or wait and see if there's anything bad and they should then get tested. Basically quarantine and test. That was completely a normal thing to do. I had been on the receiving end of six of those phone calls in the last two years. And, you know, three of the time, like four of the times I just quarantined. I just made sure to be very careful. And then I saw that I got, you know, waited a week and then I saw I was fine. Then I went out. But the other three times it was like scary enough. Like I went and got tested because I was at a party where someone definitely had COVID. 
We didn't know it at the time, but they found out the next day. I was like, okay, you're going to go get tested. That's called contact tracing. Anyone you know who got COVID and you ask them, where did you get it? And, you know, you figure, oh, we got it here and from those people. That's contact tracing. So contact tracing is a pretty natural thing to do. It can be more or less sophisticated. If you're starting with five cases, then there's a decent chance that, like, it's going to grow a little bit, but that natural or sophisticated contact tracing is going to get it to the point where people, where the virus hits enough dead ends that it stops growing. If you start with 500, it's much less likely to happen. If you start out with 5,000, it's much, much less likely to happen. If you start out with 5,000 and you get another 5,000 every week, then even a sophisticated system like South Korea can't handle it. That's why contact tracing, natural or state-driven, digital or analog, it only works if you're managing your initial viral load and your subsequent viral load import. And this is like a bit of a tipping point thing you know it's like the the if it's just too much then it'll kind of just overwhelm the system and the curve will keeps growing and growing and growing and then it just gets impossible to control and if it's just low enough then it's like flattening and then it dips down and you take control of it maybe there's a little mini peak but it, it stays relatively flat and that's by the way exactly how your body works you know if you have very little virions in the beginning there are various frontline mechanisms that can put those to bed. But if you keep getting dosed up, then it, it gets to the point where it's kind of overwhelming your system. And then the big the big boys come out to play, as it were, the major T-cells. And then that might not be enough when you get a cytokine storm. In fact, your body overreacts in combination with various things, you die. So this is all to say that the same logic that makes you feel like, oh, you heard your friend was sick, with COVID, you're not going over to have a cup of tea and snuggle them to like see if they're okay. <laughs> it's this. It's, it really is the same logic to like implement a travel ban. So, next question: Should we have a travel ban with Cape Town, or should should there be a sanitaire coordinaire cordon, however you put it, a sanitary cordon drawn around Gauteng? Because if I'm saying it's justified for other countries to um, put a travel ban against South Africa, then we should drill down and notice that in South Africa, there is no increase in cases outside of Gauteng. But inside of Gauteng, there has been a substantial increase in cases over the last two weeks. And that is where the 77, only 77 uh, confirmed genomic sequences have come out. And in fact, it's not really 77, it's 71 on the anyway this is just a by the by like another jab at the who <laughs> i knew Being up on the who is a it's a time on a tradition on this podcast dude i knew that beta virus the south african strain december 2020 was coming like a couple of days before it was mainstream news because they put out an actual preprint academic journal article about it where they designate the cardinal mutations, where they say, what are the synonymous mutations? What are the non-synonymous mutations? Where they say, how do we know this is a real thing? Where they say, what are the modeling? You know, remember there's in silico computer stuff, in vitro lab test tube stuff, in vivo actual uh, lived experience empirical data. 
Obviously, you don't have the second two. You've just got the first. What are the reasons to suspect this is really bad? E484K was the major one. We knew that this was an escape mutation. Uh, the article couldn't help but explain why it made sense that this new variant was emerging in the Eastern Cape, which was namely the fact that seroprevalence tests, insofar as they were available, were and, and uh, IFR-based estimates were showing that the Eastern Cape was the most densely infected place on earth it looked like 50 percent of the entire eastern cape population had already been infected with covid which creates a fitness pressure for the virus to try and evolve in a way that dodges natural protection they had to detail all of this stuff they had to choose their words carefully and scientifically and publish it and then allow it to percolate through the media and generate a media frenzy and that took a few days because the media had to you know, journalists like me had to figure out what this stuff all means and find people's phone numbers to call virologists and epidemiologists and evolutionary virologists and so on to like understand it and then start writing about it. This has come the other way around. There's no preprint. There's not even a basic preprint designating the cardinal mutations of this thing. There's just a slide from a media presentation. This is the right. opposite of the way you're supposed to do it. And which is weird WHO considering that we did it correctly the first time. Yeah. Well, it might be that Delevieri, who's the that sort of Italian South African guy who ran both, uh, has learned his lesson, as it were, in the wrong sense. Um, it's very, it's very concerning, and the 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 concerning thing about the WHO is that it's got a classification for when something looks pretty scary, but you're not sure and you want to figure it out, and that's, that's a variant of interest. No, that's variant, variant of interest. interest? Okay, variant of interest, right. Variant of concern means we know that this is super bad. The, the data's in. Like, we don't know everything about it, but we know this is super bad. So they could have classified this as a variant of interest. But Delivieri said, no, this must be. He said this is a variant of absolute concern. He said that it's absolutely dominated all infections in Gauteng, in brackets, 75% soon to be 100%. Like, he's not been speaking like a scientist speaks. He's been speaking like like you or I might speak if we were really excited and like, you know, four whiskeys deep at an office party. Right. And the WHO just followed that through. And one of the ways, I mean, as you were saying just before we started, one of the ways you can tell it's, it's BS to call this a variant of concern is that Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has not been known to be hesitant. <laughs> right. Fauci, Fauci is, yeah, he's, I must say, he's been held, created as a sort of, avatar totem of the public health community in the US, which is which is weird because you know you shouldn't make people into avatar totems anyway. Um, but he's been saying, well, you know, we should maybe do some travel bans, but let's not do lockdown stuff so far, which is pretty out of character for him. He's pretty much been gung-ho on no one should ever get sick ever for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, we can't do lockdown because we need to actually figure out what this variant is. Right. So if he's, if he's, so to speak, pumping the brakes, then perhaps everyone should take a second look. Yeah. And by the way, on, on, so he's, I mean, he's not calling out the WHO, but in saying we need to do more research to figure out whether this, whether this is a real thing, he's saying the WHO calling it a variant of concern was incorrect. It entails that. And just to take one step back, the British Medical Journal met a study on travel bans. It's in the sweetest and most polite scientific way, so scathing of the WHO. <laughs> like in its intro and its conclusion, it says, 
The WHO says travel bans don't work. That notwithstanding, we decided to look for some evidence. <laughs> so, so okay, but so so the so the so the thing is, if you want to answer the question, should we be travel banning? Should we be drawing a cordon sanitaire around Gauteng? It very much depends on how seriously you take the Omicron variant. So I think the international travel bans work, generally speaking, and I think that they're justified against South Africa, even though I'm a proud South African and it makes me very sad. My own family is affected by not being able to travel to see a new baby yeah. in the UK. So I know about the, the sob story, and, and they, it really it is really heartbreaking that people can't go visit their children and their grandchildren. Right. And, and the people who are undoubtedly losing business and stuff just as it looked like things might be coming back. Yeah. This uh, is all – I'm not discounting all these – very serious consequences that all notwithstanding part of my problem is that unlike some people whose names i won't mention in the ir universe i am not a globalist i'm a cosmopolitan like i'm a citizen of the world i think we all have human duties to each other but i am also i'm a I be, i'm a classical liberal i believe in the nation state there is a difference between personhood and citizenship there are duties of care that the united kingdom owes to everyone like, it really shouldn't go drop a bomb on anyone's head, for example. And it'd be nice if it accepted some refugees when there's terrible things going on. Like, there, there are ways that states should treat people as individuals that aren't their citizens. But there are very different obligations for a state to its own citizens versus to the rest of the world. So if it's like a maybe, we don't know, we hardly know anything, but the WHO has said it's a variant of concern. And there is this, like sketchy media presentation coming out from South Africa that says it's really scary. Well, then we should travel ban that because we're protecting our own citizens. And the people who disagree and, and, and the people who are globalists in the sense that they don't really believe in citizenship, they think if you're down with travel bans, then you must be down with lockdowns because it's the same thing. They don't really see a conceptual difference between those two things. Whereas I see a huge conceptual difference between those two things, not just logistically in terms of airports, harbors, and physical borders, but also in terms of the politics of who owe who, who owes who what. As South right. African citizens, the South African government yeah, owes us much more than the UK government owes its citizens. I mean, owes as, us. And the consequences of a lockdown are also of a much greater magnitude to present a greater threat to the freedom of. Of of, uh, of a society, um, you know, if you're blocking all immigration, it's, you know, it's not great. But it's different to saying, okay, well, no one can go outside of their homes. Yeah, when South Africa guarantees you freedom of movement in the Constitution, it's not freedom of movement between London and Brussels. <laughs> so if that freedom of movement gets curtailed. It's a different kind of problem to if your freedom of movement between Johannesburg and Pretoria or Pretoria and Cape Town gets curtailed. So there's a much higher threshold that needs to be crossed of evidentiary standards, firstly. Secondly, maybe it has already been crossed. I'm so sympathetic to travel bans and cordon sanitaire because I think the real thing to do is isolate the vulnerable, isolate, you know, the, the, the infected zone. Uh, and, you know, in a way... If you could lock down, if you could not lock down Gauteng, but if you could draw a cordon around Gauteng, and it's like, well, in Gauteng, you can carry on going as you were. 
but you can't go to Durban or Cape Town or Bloom or whatever. But all of those places can then stay open. It, it, that might be really good for their businesses. You know, they can still do what they need to do. There's no ways. Firstly, there's no ways that's going to happen. It's just not how our command council works. And secondly, it right. wouldn't be enforceable because we're useless and we have yeah. corrupt cops and we have like a corrupt. So, I mean, on uh, you know, you've had some experience crossing uh, provincial borders when they were supposed to be locked, and it wasn't exactly the world's most rigorous checking process. No. Sometimes it is super rigorous in an unproductive way. <laughs> Sometimes yes. it is like, dude, just go around the back end. That's where the people are going. Like, we feel sorry. This is a crap. And, and also to, to do something like this would be far too much uh, of, a, of a federal thing to do. And uh, our, 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 you know, treating the country like it's made of different provinces instead of a big homogenous blob uh, is just not in the toolkit of our government. So what is going to happen is that right now this weekend we're going to call for a lockdown. Sorry, we're going to not have a lockdown. Adrian Basson schmoozes up to Sora Ramaphosa. And the one good thing that he gets out of it is that News24, when News24 reports at 12 o'clock midday on Sunday that there's going to be no, we're going to stay at level one. And Ramaphosa is addressing the country at 8 p.m. on the same day. <laughs> I think you know that there's going to be no lockdown. Um, <laughs> I was complaining about this the other day on the Daily Friends show. That just there's just something. It's going to end in enormous amounts of tears. The closeness between News Twenty Four and Cyril Ramaphosa. Yeah, so they get the good news, but they also anyway. The I think the I think the political reasons are very clear. Right now, South Africa gets to complain about the fact that we discovered the new variant. It could have emerged anywhere. But we're the ones getting punished because travel bans are racist. Well, could it have emerged anywhere? That's an interesting question, right? So, okay, so here's here's the thing thing on that. Um, as 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 uh, someone pointed out, B point one point one point B point one point one point one point two five nine was the original designation. That is in part because it looked like a beta virus. The genetic tree right now it's very hard to tell whether this evolved from an alpha virus or a beta virus uh there's some inclination to put it in the alpha group uh, that's the uk variant now one of the reasons for that might be and this is not a very good reason that there's this deletion at the s69 location on the spike 6970 and, and that's the reason that you don't have to do a full gene sequencing on this virus, on, on a virion, in order to see what it is. Because of this deletion, it just shows up differently on a, on a normal test. And that's a quality that Alpha had, and that's a quality that Omicron has. So in that sense, Omicron is just like Alpha, Okay. Now, there are 32 mutations just on the spike protein, and that's just one. If you drill deeper, I've looked at the at the uh, gene trees from this guy at the Johns Hopkins and from the Bloom Lab. 
they kind of have it growing a little bit of out of alpha, but growing in a beta direction. And then the beta and alpha trees kind of overlap. So intuitively, it's almost as if beta and alpha had a baby. Now, this <laughs> is not how viruses work. Okay. Right. And it, it can actually happen that a virus, you get a part of a virus breaking into another part of the virus. No one is actually suggesting that that's what happened either. But just in terms of the direction that the virus is evolving in to try and chase the sunshine, it's a little bit like a, a creeper in a hedge in a forest and it's chasing the sunshine and it's sort of blindly just going where it feels a little bit more heat, a little bit less heat. And sometimes, oh, there's a little patch there, but it's a dead end. And the other patch that grew through the darkness for longer finds a nice big open patch of sunshine. This has grown in the open patch of sunshine direction that was first pointed out by Beta. Now, the reason that matters is part of the reason that like, okay, so I'm saying we don't know enough about this. This could very easily be a nothing burger. Uh, the, the argument is that like, okay, there's 32 mutations in the spike protein. Uh, Delta had like 12. So this is like seems right. much And the more spike protein involved. is what a lot of the vaccines in particular have targeted as the way to disable the virus. It trains your body to identify the spike protein. So the fear is... I presume if the spike protein is really different, your body won't be able to work out that that's the same thing and it won't be able to respond properly. Exactly. So because of how many more mutations we have here, it's not clear whether this evolved here or just came in from elsewhere. It might be that it evolved here, but that our genomic sequencing isn't as good as we take it out to be. That's very easily the case. We are not gen genomically sequencing everything that comes in. So if you gene sequencing 0.1%, which is more than we've been gene sequencing, of all of the stuff, there can be this evolution along the alpha-beta branch line going for quite a while, and then suddenly it starts showing up because it's become more competitive, so it's hitting more of the population, so you're finally picking it up. And then you're seeing like a bit of a gap in time, and you're like, oh, this is us. That's one explanation that's not being well explored because everyone wants to say we've got the best gene sequencing in the world that's why we identified it it could have come from everywhere and you shouldn't punish us because that's racist the counter hypothesis is that no we've got the world's most densely infected population 80 percent of south africans have been infected by now on the best estimate which is mine and also 80 percent is infected on the best estimate which is second best estimate which is discovery which gets the same route by an inferior mechanism <laughs> and i know i know it's absurd but you know what i showed someone i showed a proper epidemiologist and he, he agreed with me dude he was like it's it's really, it's really so, quite simple wait. you can't use swedish ifrs to do south african prevalence dude, that, that either says that uh, uh you're very clever which is i certainly think a possibility or it means that uh the people doing the studies here Let's just say they're not doing their best. It's the latter. Or maybe a bit it's of the No, I know. No, no, Nick, I'm really not very clever. It's really, really, very simple. It's like a virus that kills people asymmetrically by age. You don't use the infection fatality ratio from a country where 20% of the people are over 60 years old to model a country where like 5% are over that age. It kind of reminds me. It kind of reminds me of that joke about economists trying to get out of a hole. And it's yeah. like, uh, step one, assume a ladder. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
So you really don't have to be very clever sometimes to be smarter than an economist. Okay, so the point is that one thing could be because this is the worst case scenario, people. Listen up. This is coming from the guy who's like, this. there's a, there's a lot of reasons that you... Let me just say one more reason that you should think that this could be a nothing burger. Because of all of the mutations, so half the mutations, we have no idea what they are. They could almost be non-synonymous mutations. And there's synonymous mutations, which just means swapping out different genes for the same word. It's not changing it just anything. Junk. Yes. Yeah. Literally, that could be the case. Uh, we, because we don't have a preprint, we don't see whether it's passed the test for that not to be the case. And it's a simple statistical test. Uh, so we literally don't know. It might be that it's actually 16 mutations, and then it's a lot like Delta, which is 11, 11 or 12 mutations. That's the first problem. The second problem is of the remaining 16 mutations, like four are original that seem from computer modeling like they are an issue, but the rest are all mutations. The other 10 are all mutations we've already seen before, either in Delta or Beta or Gamma or Alpha. So then the argument is, well, you know, it's bad when, when it's here or there, but when they all get together, it's really bad. It's like, haven't you seen Avengers when, 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 Iron Man and Captain America are on the same team. They're even more scary than, than you would think. You know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So the problem with that argument is De Olivieri, the guy who's responsible for this media blow-up, he made the same argument about C C12, which was the South African combination variant that was supposed to be like alpha plus beta plus delta. Just when delta was getting all the news from India... In the winter, he was like, no, 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 South Africa's got something much worse. It's C12. That's why we're having a terrible third wave, despite the fact, you know, never mind all the terrible vaccines, all that crap. No vaccination. It's like, we've got the worst variant in the world, C12. And he tried to lobby for it to be declared a variant of concern. It never even made it to variant of interest because it is a nothing burger because the recombination additive effect, the Avengers story, turned, turned out in that instance to be nonsense. So maybe it'll turn out to be nonsense again. And then what we're dealing with here is the world's most hyped up nonsense. And it would be similar to what happened in the UK where they had this like further Delta strain, Delta plus, and it appeared in Denmark and then it went away and scientists were like, it's 10% more transmissible. And then eventually they were like, dude, this is maybe slightly, slightly, this is really just Delta. This is not really worse. Yeah, I, I have a feeling, though, that the consequences from that are going to be quite extreme and they won't be very good. Uh, because if, if, the, if everyone decides, yeah, if, if everyone decides that, oh, you know, actually, this was all a bit of a hysterical overreaction. Oh, boy. The concerts <laughs> would be, be great. The concerts would be great. Well, I don't know. It depends. I mean, it depends, right? Like, they could go in a direction of then. No one ever being able to respond to anything ever again, or maybe uh, they'll... Yeah. 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 No, you're right. I'm thinking like someone might get fired that didn't do their job. <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel, Gabriel. Like, <laughs> like, like, so naive. Who, who do I have in mind? <laughs> Eric Fagel Ling, who's like a so-called Harvard epidemiologist. He's a visiting professor there. He's like so young. Dude, this guy has literally gotten everything wrong about coronavirus. I don't like singling out and being mean about people. Like Peter Dezak, you should be mean about him because he's the guy who was involved who maybe, in the Wuhan lab and then yeah. organized the letter to say, no, there was no 
bats at the he said there were never any bats at the Wuhan lab. Like we've got it on record that that was a lie. He was like, there was never anything approximating gain of function research at the Wuhan lab. He got the Lancet letter in February 2020 to say that if you even think this came from a laboratory, then you're a racist. And didn't declare his conflict of interest. To cover his backside, pouring an enormous amount of uh, grease into the system to prevent anything useful happening in our discussions. Yeah. So when when Peter Dezak's name comes up, you should bear in mind that very good epidemiologists and professors in America like that are very, very disciplined and very, very serious are like, this guy has blown his credibility and there should be some investigation into that. Uh, he still gets quoted without any mention of the lies that he's been demonstrably debunked as having told in the New York Times. But in the Washington Post, even at least, they say Peter Dezak, a largely discredited figure, uh, says such and so. Okay, so Peter Dezak is one. Eric Fagel Lee, if you want to remember one epidemiologist's name, maybe him. His critics call him Eric Fakert Lee. I think that's too much. Uh, but he was on a Spanish friend of mine. Uh, showed he was on the cover like the cover sunday paper in spain was like omicron is 500 percent more transmissible who's their source eric fagel lee a like 30 year old glory whore who has there is no basis for saying that it might turn out to be true and so here's my point i'm saying so far people are just being alarmist and exaggerating and you know what? If you're the head of a government and you want to do a travel ban against South Africa, it's not costing you much. Okay, you respond to the alarm. On the other hand, it might be the case that this really is super scary. Because of this evolutionary tree, because of the combination effect, maybe it's now enough of a combination effect that it takes hold. Because of the fact that South Africa, if it is a fact, has 80% convalescence, it is the most competitive environment for coronaviruses in the world this is exactly where you would expect the most hardcore coronaviruses to evolve plus you've got some heavily immunosuppressed people so i just want to quote i think it's frank sinatra it could be someone else <laughs> about new york city it, you know you know that line new york new york if i can make it there i'll make, it, make anywhere. it anywhere that's south africa for covid that's South Africa for COVID. So if you get a 5% advantage on reinfecting people, then you're going to make it in South Africa. But that 5% advantage can turn into a 50% advantage versus the vaccine. Overseas, right. So I think that I think that right now we know very little, but the rest of the world has a very serious reason to worry that just like with the beta virus, was a serious, it was the first next-gen, it was the first escape mutation proper next-gen thing. And Delta had the same basic cardinal escape mechanisms, and then it just had extra transmissibility. Transmissibility is not nearly as scary as escape, especially when you're at the stage where With most of your people, people are vaccinated or have or had, had it. it. Yeah. 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 So if you're in a say... country where you're just, where like 90% of your people are vaccinated, but only 10% of people have ever had it, and suddenly you get, that's like being in South Africa and a New York banker shows up into the room. Dude, those guys will eat your breakfast. <laughs> yeah, there uh, there was, a, I think there was a science fiction book about this where there was this group of people who were all kept on a planet that was like viciously overcrowded and the resources were too little and they were just 
grow and grow and fight it. Every day was a struggle for survival. Life expectancy was like 25. And after being on this planet for a while, someone took some of them off. And immediately they just became like sort of super people who just conquered the whole universe. Uh, that seems to be... Dude, exactly that's South African coronavirus. <laughs> oh dear. I, I must say, look, I, I haven't read uh, any sort of medical papers or anything like that. Um, uh, like Dude, there are have. no medical papers about Omicron. So you are okay. in the same but, but, position as the most <laughs> advanced scientist in the world. That is but, the biggest but, nightmare about all of this. That is the headline. Right. If people come away with one thing, it's that Nick knows exactly as much from reading scientific papers about Omicron <laughs> as Fauci, as Tedros, as the... Now you see, that's a very scary ever. thought indeed. Um, but <laughs> It is. It's terrifying. There's no ways human <laughs> civilization after two years of the plague should be in a position where we're all making decisions about something that no one has read a scientific paper about. So this is this is actually this is the point I'm trying to make is is when I when I read some of the stuff I just it just seemed weird because everyone was saying these things but then they would say but we haven't actually got any data and I was like but wait hold on guys hold on what, what are you basing your claim off of I mean that was clear even from the news reporting that there was something a little bit sort of jumping the gun on this one I know I mean, we've got out that they're right. But Dude, the best data out there is from the chairman of the South African Medical Association who said she had 20 patients who had Omicron and they had mild cases. Yes, so I, saw that. Like, oh, I saw that as well. Dude, that is so irresponsible. That is an anecdote. <laughs> that is literally the same kind of thing that is like, no, you know, my, I, my, my I cousin Daryl got soda. it. Yeah. My cousin Daryl got it and he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> no man. All she should say is, "I've got twenty patients who had mild cases. They were this age. They were that age. This is not that surprising." But you know, maybe it's mild. We should do some studies on this. You should not be drawing any inferences, hard conclusions from anecdotes. You should be drawing hard conclusions from statistical. Yeah, I also saw, I also this is the basics. Write... I would like you to see the basics. I also saw someone someone wrote something saying, "What was it? New variant mostly spreading amongst the youth." And I was like, but hold on. <laughs> There's like 70 confirmed new variant cases. How do you know that it's mostly spreading amongst the... <sighs> I don't know, man. Dude, we have learned... We have actually learned nothing. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, Travel bans are know, racist. Who, who you gets what you want about the new no, variant. Here's, here's, I think this is a serious problem across the world. When do people get fired for good reasons anymore? I, I'm just thinking recently of, you know, uh, the entire, you know, I got very heated about the Afghanistan thing. I'm, I'm still heated about it, but it's not like a smoldering, simmering heat rather than a burning one. Um, who's been fired for that, for the series of complete debacles that, that unfolded from there? There wasn't even a scapegoat. Afterwards, there were some airstrikes. Yeah. There's not even an Ace Machashule. Not even that, that, one Ace Machashule. Yeah. This is, and this is the American government, not like third world kleptocracy like South Africa. No, this is, this is the world superpower. No one gets fired for anything, ever. This, yeah, that's this why epidemiologist you talked about, wrong multiple times, doesn't get discredited or fired. Badly, even, you know, demonstrably. Exactly. Washington Post at least does the due diligence, but everyone else. This is, is like, why I resent like people who complain about cancel culture 
We are not happy. Look, our issue is not with canceling people. Our issue is with canceling the wrong people. You should be yeah. fired and discredited if you do not do your duty. In fact, what you should do, and the way it used to work when Nicholas's people were, when the sunset never <laughs> fell on their empire, was that you resign. You fall on your bloody sword. You know, you know, you know I'm not a British citizen, right? <laughs> I may be quite anglophilic, but I have parts, I have parts no have right to be in that country. <laughs> no, that's true. But uh, you know, if that no, were true, the that... Americans should let me into that dang country. But of course, they I won't agree. because their immigration no, system is completely incomprehensible. <laughs> that's a no, subject dude, but... for another day, though. No, but no, but I agree with you, man. People need to be fired, and. It's not going to happen. And part of the reason it doesn't happen is no one wants to this clamor is... for a bit of firing. And no one wants to clamor for a bit of firing because when they see people do get fired, it's it's Jeremy Vary, the best police in South Africa, who got fired for saying yeah, to his but... colleague, go go murdum, sorry, uh, when he was going to court for nonsense charges. You know, he's like a really, really good police. And yeah. he got cancelled no, for like, or de Kock would have been fired for not kneeling. No, exactly. I mean, and and look, I, I get your point about cancel culture. I think that the term is fine because it's become one of those things where, you know, we all know, or at least most people know sort of what you mean. Um, I know you like your, your specificity with words. I think it's... Yeah, no, fine. I'm a bit... What, 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 what we do mean is cancel culture means people getting driven out of the public square for really, really dumb reasons. <laughs> Yes, no, and you should oppose that. You should totally oppose that. At the same time, yes. Tedros should never even become the head of the WHO because he flipping concealed a cholera outbreak twice <laughs> yeah. in Ethiopia. This is, but this My is exactly darling it. country that is just being savaged and no one cares. People care so little oh, about Ethiopia. Uh, Anthony Blinken did say something about it the other day, the US Secretary of State. He said oh, something. You. It was the first time I'd seen anyone overseas say anything about it who is like in a position of power. And he said something like, they should stop it. Oh, man. Come on. Come on, dude. People are breaking my heart. They just don't care about people. In people throw rocks at each other in Israel and Palestine. And, like, the Secretary of State issues 14 statements over, 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 like, who's who's right, who's wrong, and the whole Who media. started it. Yeah. Like, there's this massive civil war escalating in, in one of the world's most important countries in Africa. <laughs> it's like... Four months in, one statement. Uh, you know. Anyway, dude, it's really, it's really heartbreaking. And I think, I mean, I, I do think, in terms of what do we know, I think I, I want to go as far as saying I know. That hold on, I'm getting a chat. You're getting a chat. I know that. There's no alcohol ban. It's confirmed. I was right. I told you that Adrian Bosson would say it, but it's just gone. Eight, 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 eight. <laughs> Wait, is that happening now? Oh, it is. Yes. We're speaking oh, while the president is speaking. Yeah. While, while you while you do your shtick, I'm just going to uh, say, uh, go check what El Presidente said besides no alcohol ban. So, I know that we're going to go into a lockdown. I know that people aren't going to follow case numbers, aren't going to follow death numbers. They're going to follow case numbers. I know that South Africa's entertainment and tourism industries are going to get it in the teeth. I know that it's not going to curb Look, viral spread. 
as I don't expect much from our government, but I, I must say, if they do lock us down with like bans and interprovincial travel or something in uh, early January, I'm going to be very annoyed because that is precisely when I intend to go on holiday. <laughs> and by holiday, I mean travel. Yeah. But uh, that's a completely selfish point of view. All right. So I think we're meandering into uh, what's it that they'd say on the, 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 the commentary podcast crushing morosity because <laughs> every single one of their podcasts ends with and america is doomed <laughs> yeah dude I, we're, I quite we're, like we're going quite... one step further we're saying the world is doomed because no one can apparently be fired for anything so when i was at university my oh, my best friend one of my best friends he used to call me mongubrious <laughs> Because he was like, he's like, you're not just morose, you're not just lugubrious, you're mongubrious. <laughs> it's like you've got such a whole other level of of like of worry about the world that we need a new word. So one of the reasons I like the commentary podcast so much is uh firstly, you know, you've got a great mix of characters, and they also have someone who talks a lot on it, uh, which is which is very funny for for people. <laughs> <laughs> for me but anyway um, <laughs> no idea what that's a, a reference to <laughs> their, their intro song is a mel is a is a mel brooks thing which is like uh, hope for the best expect the worst some drink some drink champagne some die of thirst and that's that's just <laughs> <laughs> it captures it perfectly doesn't it <laughs> oh my word yeah. between it, yeah podcasting the sort of 2015 until 2021 that's kind of like the perfect encapsulation of how everything seems to be going yeah yeah <laughs> yeah man the champagne chaps are gonna enjoy themselves and the government everyone will find an excuse like you and i might find an excuse dude i will go i will find a work reason to go to plattenberg bay i will find a work if if, if they ban travel to plattenberg bay i'm telling you now and the law can hold this against me, I will find a work reason to go there so that I can also go have Christmas <laughs> with my family. Dude, you could go write a story on something that's going on at Plattenberg Bay. I'm sure there's something interesting of interest to the Institute going on down there. Yeah. Dude, and if you're an accountant, you can just go find someone's accounts that you have to see in person. So I, I'm detecting this interesting uh, a problem uh, uh on, on on the way that the government is responding to this so the sa government has been very strident in saying that imposing travel restrictions on sa is completely unjustified and a big problem and blah 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 um and we've just talked about that but at the same time they're also very happy to take credit from oh you see we warned the world about this aren't we a responsible global and it's citizen very terrible sciences yeah yes. so so they're, they're, they can't decide which one to, to go down it's like either we've got the greatest most awesome scientists in the world who are like so on top of their game they can see this stuff coming from a mile or everyone is a hysterical moron who's just panicking and punishing us because we're a poor african country dude okay so here's my story about <laughs> cognitive dissonance i yeah. when when i saw like thursday wednesday and thursday wednesday i got the first like heads up from the twitter and because I don't do Twitter, but I've got like Twitter followers like sending me a Delivery's tweets and stuff. Wednesday and Thursday, and then Friday, it was like, this is the worst thing ever. Oh my God, it's very terrible. Friday, you start getting into the WHO meeting. It's like, no, travel bans, you must never do travel bans. They don't work. Saturday, it's like, 
no, 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 this thing is not terrible. Vaccines are going to be totally useful against it. Sunday, it's like the Sama lady saying, no, I've had 20 cases and they were all mild. This is actually uh, a very nice variant. It's like the news cycle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like lurches from one irresponsible reading to the next. <laughs> yes. It's completely crazy. And, 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 and it just reminded me of... Of a, a moment in my life where I got off the bus, of, of, uh, you know, of, of, I was studying. You could call it critical race theory, queer theory, social identity politics through theatre. I was in Ireland for two months, and mainly we were like watching plays and hanging out and, and producing stuff. But like our two professors were very dedicated to the thought that, I mean, their theory was if there's a play or a movie or a book and there's no gay people in it, then it's homophobic. And if there's a gay person in it and it's a guy and he's limp-wristed and he sleeps around, then it's homophobic because that's a stereotype. If there's a gay person who's like keeping down a good job and is married and is like a responsible family man or woman, then it's homophobic because you're just trying to say this how gay people should be. Yes. yes. Oh, you know. So if there's a if there's a gay person who is like gay bashed, like a bunch of people beat him up. And dude, I that movie uh, with Heath Ledger where they get gay bashed, uh, Brokeback Mountain. Dude, that is an amazing movie. I'm not critic. I'm not saying that that's bad either. But to them, that's the only acceptable way to present a homosexual. In a th that was literally their theory, and I couldn't. <laughs> It, it felt wrong to me, but I couldn't understand why it's wrong. I Aren't couldn't find the word to push the limits. That's what they say, but they're supposed to push the limits to produce like a, a to a, produce a, the same thing that every other idiot is producing. Yeah. Anyway, no, dude, I, I can, we went can, to can hold I, on. We went to let me. I must. I must finish this. Just in terms of this new cycle madness, uh, with the Ramaposa both being like travel bans are terrible, but also this thing is terrible, and we're the best for telling the world first. We went to watch a play about a suicide written from behind the Iron Curtain in the 70s by a person who probably really was mongoobrous, a person who had even more reason than Nicholas and I to be pessimistic about tomorrow and nevertheless found the courage to stand up today. And in a way, finding the courage had to mean taking that suicidal part of himself and writing a play about it. And it's an hour and a half play and there are no words. It is all stage directions. Ooh. So you just see a person quietly come back from work in their apartment, like clean up, make dinner. They can't eat the dinner. They go to the window. They've, you know, it's, dude, it sounds like the most boring play that you've ever seen, but there's something about it that is like spooky, completely, completely spooky. So we watch this play, not in a theater, but in an apartment building in Ireland. So you're walking, you're in the little apartment. The person just acts as if they can't see you and you act as if you can't see them. And that kind of suspension of disbelief really somehow makes it even more spooky. It was, I had nightmares about that. It was amazing, amazing production. The next day we go and have the debrief where the students and the professor sit around and they describe their experiences. And one of the students stood up and said, that play was so realistic when she took all the drugs and washed it down with champagne to kill herself. I actually believed she was going to kill herself. I actually believed that they were real pulls. It wasn't just like placebo. She was really killing herself. I really believed it. And the professor said that is the single best comment we've heard in the last two months.
and I, I wanted to leave. If you believe someone is killing themselves in front of you, if you actually believe it, and you sit there and do nothing, and then the lights go off and you stand up and you clap and you walk out. <laughs> yeah. I want you to go to jail. I want you to never see you again. Hate is a very strong word and it's something that you should never hold on to. But in that moment, I hate you. Yes. Yeah. So and that's what we're either, dealing with here. Someone who's like, she's a no, no, I, or, or she's lying. Yeah. She's just lying, dude. She's just lying for effect. Lying so badly that she's lied to herself. I was like, dude, how, Jessica, how can you possibly say that you really believed it and you did nothing about it? You can't possibly have really believed it. I know you. I know you are a good person. You would never cease a little child drowning in a pond and just clap. You would get in there and save her. She was like, no, no, no. I really believed it. Don't undermine my lived experience. I really believed it. And that was the day that you went back on the rails. <laughs> Did. Yeah. I jumped back on the train. I was at a stop. At a, I was at like a little stop off, like have a cafe drink at like camp bullshit. And I and I jumped back on the train of like, you must you must mean what you say. At some level, the theater, the whole point of the theater is that we like we get in there collectively, the lights turn off, and suddenly someone like picks up a stick and waves it at someone else, and we're like, oh, that's a wand. And oh, that person actually killed that person. Oh, that's very sad. Romeo, Romeo committed suicide. It's very sad. You've you and then you clap and then you stop pretending. So that you can get back on the train of truth. Like, I love the theater, dude. That is, that is my religion. I love the theater. Precisely because there is a curtain between that and an ordinary life. And what's going on with this thing, with the people like Ramaphosa now, saying, we're the best in the world because we identified the worst variant that's going to kill you all in time. And you must do nothing about it. Like, this is a logical contradiction, as <laughs> absurd as saying, I watched someone commit suicide and I thought it was a very impressive performance. This is this is precisely why I like the movie The Death of Stalin. Because it's a, it's a black comedy, right? It's like yeah. taking one of the most horrific things that, like, human beings have been through, which is the sort of paranoid authoritarian 1984 uh, world of, of Joseph Stalin. And they're making it funny because they're just pointing out how stupid and absurd it is. And this is this is when politics always goes like a, a bit off the rails. Uh, it's when people are... So there's this great scene in The Death of Stalin. Um, I think it's Molotov's wife was taken to the Gulag because of, I don't know, some stupid accusation. Molotov of the Molotov cocktail, folks. Yes, of the Molotov cocktail. And Nikita Khrushchev is trying to plot with him to get himself made the, the new heir to the throne of because Stalin's just died. And Molotov is, uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev says, look, look, if you support me, I can get your wife out of the gulag. And Molotov, thinking that they're being listened to by bugs, says, nope, nope, she wasn't. She was a counter-revolutionary, and I'm so glad that she got sent to jail. And then as this happens, Beria, who's the other character vying for control, comes in with Molotov's wife because he's trying to bribe him to get on his side. And so he's denouncing her 
And then he turns around and he sees her. And then they sort of halfway through the sentence, they kind of like jerk and they're like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Isn't this great? I can't believe you were falsely accused. And it's just the complete absurdity of the fact that they were yeah. <laughs> they were believing, yeah, pretending Perfect. to believe one thing and then had to immediately switch gears to another because the situation changed. That is the best explanation of the madness of autocracy and just authoritarianism mm. that I, I think mm. I've, I've seen. And mm. that's this is like a much lesser version of that, but it's the same kind of, uh, what's that that Orwell said? Dude. Double yeah. think? Double, Double think, think, I think yeah. is the word. This is why, you know, people quote 1984 to death because it was so good. Mm. It it completely encapsulated <laughs> how how politics can become just completely absurd. Mm. Mm. And you know it's interesting. I was just rewatching Orwell's last statement. Yeah, where he says, you know, if you want to imagine the, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot on a man's face forever. <laughs> right. It's and, very cherry uh, thought. And and one of the things that he says there is that, <laughs> you know, in the future, you know, there'll be all the surveillance and there'll be all this like, can, you know, cancel culture as you describe it. And right, he basically he basically to... imagined what is it, uh, the Uyghur camps in Western China, and yeah, forever, right? And but he the, one of the interesting lines is he says the sex drive will be repressed. Yes, and remember that's, that's a big theme in 1984 that no one ever talks about. And and that's an interesting like just in that moment you've just described, there's an I see that echo. It's like there is something about there's something about romance which is so theatrical, the candlelight and the roses and the sort of French person playing an accordion or whatever your picture is of like schmaltzy. <laughs> um at the same, you know, at the same time, from an evolutionary perspective, from an ontological perspective, from like a face-to-face -face contact with another human being perspective, like romantic love often is a device used by storytellers to expose the madness of a political environment and Romeo and Juliet. I mean, it's Shakespeare's most political play. It's the, it's the only one where he writes speeches about capitalism and why it's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> which is, by the way, is another Orwell point. Orwell had this great story where he was like, Oh, there was this wonderful sort of Shakespeare scholar who went, <laughs> who, 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 who did a tour of the Soviet union talking about Shakespeare and he, and he just kept getting, he'd sort of do this hour and a half lecture about the wonders of Shakespeare. And the first question that kept being asked was, but was Shakespeare a communist? And he thought that was quite depressing. <laughs> but then he came back and did, and did the same lecture at the university of Leeds. And guess what? The first question was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all you need to know about the university of Leeds. I wonder how much has changed. I don't they probably don't ask whether he's a communist anymore, but they ask, yeah. uh, but was he progressive? Yeah. Yeah. How <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's like that, you know, there's, it is, it is, it is just the case that like we have these great instincts for overcoming the nonsense and connecting with each other, holding each other's hands, like just piercing the, piercing the bubble of nonsense 
in a way that kind of romantic love is 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 super real you know especially when you get really practical and heteronormative and it's like about starting a family or something which is which is like you know that's really where the magic and the and the practicalities overlap a new baby goodness gracious what a magical thing and also what a lot of nappies uh you know it's super duper real i think that um I think all had a bit of a point and I think, I don't know, maybe that's a segue to, to, to the recommendation I wanted to make. Um, which was James Bond. I watched it yesterday. Which one? In cinema. The one that's, the one that's just come out, the last of the new universe. Wait, there's one out now. Yes. You can see Dude. that I'm really plugged into pop culture at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like nearly three hours long. Oh man, it was such a satisfying experience. It was wasn't slow, the last one also really long. Uh, yeah, dude. I, I must say, it seems like slow-paced movies are making a bit of a comeback. If anyone has seen Dune, yeah, that's uh, what I'm going to see on Tuesday. Yeah, it's that's a nice and slow-paced, and everything is loud, and it's just I, I, it's, 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 I had a good time. Anyway, sorry. I don't want to give away too much. But I think to hear this, even if you do see something, if you go and watch it subsequently, this is this is a philosophical point that totally transcends Bond, but it's a good reason to go see it. The movie raises a question, a classic question. If you if you had Midas's problem, if you could never touch another human being, and in particular you couldn't touch those you loved. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, whatever, you know. Would your life still be worth living? And I think it's a good question. I think it's got multiple answers. I think for some people, the answer will be yes, and for some people, the answer will be yo. no. And I think that says something about your character. Say something about how much you live in your mental space, the, the universe of symbolic representation, words, the inferential calculus, poetry, and so on. <laughs> Music, art. <sighs> and to what extent is 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 your is your life about the haptic connection? And and I think it's a really it's a really timeless question. Precisely because there's no one answer. And precisely because it sort of gives you an access into a way of thinking about what it is that makes a good life, what the necessary and sufficient conditions are, and how those distribute across different individuals. I also think that it's a really apposite question during lockdown. Hmm. Like in Ooh. some ways... Way to one... tie it back to the title of this episode, dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude well i was just thinking you know in some ways there's something like the next thing that everyone's going to complain about is rage is the matric parties and from there you know like every middle-aged person like me who wants to go and smoke a joint and get drunk and go on a beach and dance until the sunrise as if you're still in matric which is something I'd like to do. I do that every year. I I, I like to dance, man. Nicholas is <laughs> Nicholas. I think Nicholas has a different answer to me to this sort of James Bond question. 
and that's fine. But like in some ways, I think that it's weird that that there is no social like as much as we've got like I can understand why on the news channels it's very difficult to find someone who'll stand up and say, you know what? It's actually very important for social development and for society as a whole that you let young people go out and be amorous. Like that too is an essential good. And if you want to curtail it, you must do so very carefully. So maybe it's justified, maybe it's not. But just even to say that it's an interest worth considering. Like I heard none of that last year. And I expect to hear very little of it this year. Hmm. And I think that Orwell, I don't know, just this combination of James Bond and the plague. And I thought like when I'm, like I think Orwell's line about like the sex drive will be one of the first and most, you know, easy things for them to repress. And where was he getting that idea from? He was getting that idea from the worst aspects of feudal theocratic European civilization. You know, it's not a new idea that that autocratic socialists um, exercise a lot of energy in policing how people touch each other and who touches who and so on. Uh, it, was, it, it, you know, it sounded kind of weird when he said it because it was like 1950, you know, we've just been through World War II, we've got so many bigger fish to fry, what are you saying? I think that, I think that one of the strange ways to break... And I've even had this experience with people that are like hallucinating on shrooms and acid and like having bad trips. Just for someone to hold your hand, if you are hallucinating, if you're literally hallucinating and someone holds your hand, that can be one of the most grounding comeback to reality experiences. Get back on the train of truth. Get off this little side stop of like nonsense. And I think that, I, I don't know, man. I think it's a, uh, it's pretty far out, but it's kind of an overlooked, maybe a bit of an overlooked aspect of, of the world that we're in. Like, like maybe in ten thousand years we'll have good enough esteem economics and data to like analyze the actual difference and like find that like in societies where people can't hug their parents, like they go more mad. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, dude. That's reality. It's going to solve all our problems. Anyway. Um... No, it won't. It won't. It won't. It won't. But... <laughs> yes, no, yes, I know. Yes, Nothing will solve our problems. Look, here's, here's in, and this is one of the A ways. A lot of things. Yes. Yeah, this is one of the ways in which I, I like the term conservative because under one definition of conservative, it's a recognition that human nature is always the same and that we will always be living in a fallen, fallen difficult world where things don't go work entirely properly. And in that sense, I'm very conservative because I think that that's Dude, very you true. should share. Okay, my final commendation for James Bond. Dude, it really is the end of an era. It's a great flipping thing. Um, I saw Mpiaki Dlamini, uh, formerly of the Free Market Foundation. He wrote a Facebook thing about James Bond. He was like, so it looks like they started out trying to make a woke movie, but they got so real that it ended up being the ultimate conservative movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it when that happens. Dude, and it is, it's so good. Like, afterwards, <laughs> like, I never had, like, Victor Hugo, like, Les Miserables, like, a lot of these, like, socially progressive things. 
like I've I felt like a tear in my eye. You see the little baby like fall into the water or whatever, and it's like a ragdoll. And like you're like, but your brain is like, but hold on, this plot and the way that they're lining it up, like something about this is kind of weird. Dude, this I never had like a teary moment. I never had a moment of like a, a frog in my throat. But afterwards, Elena and I, this Lena, my partner especially, was like like really melancholic for like hours. Just like this slow, like you try and get out of it, and you're just like, no, dude. It is quite sad. And like to, it'd be to, it'd be really good to, if we held on to like what we still have, like, but it's quite sad. <laughs> yeah, to appropriate the, the language of the youth, uh it hit different sometimes. It hit different. <laughs> different hit. Uh right. So my recommendation is <laughs> close to the opposite of that. Um and that is I'm going to recommend a channel on youtube called electro boom uh, let me just find the spelling of it uh but basically it is it's actually a pretty big channel so anyone who's sort of interested in this stuff has probably already found it but it's about uh it will be in the show notes by the way in the in the description of this episode as per yeah, the suggestion you. of a of a of a listener um which is something we should have been doing all along but uh, thank you yeah. for reminding us that we should be doing this so this is a channel done by an electrical engineer who is an Iranian living in Canada. And he basically, his whole shtick is he teaches you about how circuits and electricity works uh, while shocking himself and blowing up his own circuits, uh, which is... Aha. <laughs> Dude, learning from error. Yes. What are... He basically, he says that, you know, all engineers make mistakes. He just films his. Uh, he also does have it up a bit for the camera sometimes, but a couple of times, I mean, his second most viewed video, he almost died because he was building this thing called a Jacob's Ladder, and yeah. he was trying to make it all fancy with high voltage, and ha he attached big sparklers to it, and it got top-heavy and fell over on him, and he instinctively grabbed for it. And luckily, oh. it came unplugged, because if it hadn't come unplugged, he would have been toast at that toast. point. Oh, my word. Um, but uh, he also has, I think his most watched video is how not to make an electric guitar. And it starts off with him pretending like he's just made this guitar. And uh, it's it's just some metal strings attached to a plug. <laughs> and he says, and we can just plug this into the wall. <laughs> and then he plays it. And the camera shakes and he throws it in the air. And it's just swearing and he falls over. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, it's also just quite funny because he... He's very sort of uh, amusingly self-deprecating. He said, you know, this is why I think that Iran shouldn't have nuclear nuclear technology, not because they'll use it for weapons, but because if they have people like me running the, the power plants, then they're just going to explode. Um, <laughs> he also makes a big deal of the fact that he has a very thick monobrow. And uh, so it's it looks like entertainment, but it's actually educational. If you wanted to learn how to build circuits and things, this is definitely... A channel you should check out um apparently there was some kenyan guy living in like a squatter camp on the edge of nairobi who learned how to build electronic devices purely by watching this guy's videos <laughs> so, Dude, so you see i just i want to take advantage of the opportunity to say sometimes i complain at nicholas when he calls himself a conservative because i believe that he like me is actually much more of a radical centrist like, I just don't I'm like feeling, that term. You know what that term, the problem with that so, term is it, it feels like it's trying too hard. <laughs> Dude, I had today 
I was like, I can't think of anyone else who has such a common sense attitude that like travel bans are different to lockdowns because it's citizens versus personhood. And who also thinks that like you should have the data on the thing come out before the media craze. And who also thinks that like if you do have the media craze and the WHO come out before the data thing, then you should respond to that. But at the same time, like I can't think of anyone who thinks that like a court on sanitaire against Gauteng might be a good idea, but it wouldn't be a good idea because the government is useless. And also that there should be travel bans, but also that this might be a nothing burger, but also that this might be a very extreme thing. So like at this stage, I'm the only guy still on the train. And I said this to Elena and she said, dude, you're a radical centrist. Because <laughs> <laughs> like if you can't find anyone who agrees with you, but you but you're feeling like you're like everyone's disagreeing you from two different angles <laughs> then like the the libert the libertarians are like no travel bans they never work and the other guys there's are like a, no this is the worst thing there's a, there's I was a, like you're yeah, a radical centrist and you're a radical centrist dude you just advertised after speaking to your conservatism a video about learning from mistakes <laughs> <laughs> about progressing, about changing what you think because you've made a mistake. Oh, you know. That is science, dude. That is centrist, dude. You are deep down. You are Edmund, Edmund Burke centrist. Said, Ed, Edmund Burke said that uh, sometimes to conserve, you need to reform. Yeah, dude. So. That's 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 how you can tell someone is on the he's on the slide back, on the <laughs> on the classical liberal slide back. He's like still trying to hold on to his like hip well, fashionable. What, what, I'm a conservative, but let me tell you, let me tell, let me explain. But, Being conservative actually means changing a little bit. Yeah, look, Edmund Burke <laughs> was considered a liberal in his time in in, in many ways. Um, it's just he broke with the uh, uh, the French revolutionary crowd because yes, uh, exactly. He was for abolishing was like... slavery. He was for abolishing slavery. He was for rights for the Irish. He was for he was kind of kind of friendly towards the American revolutionaries even. Um, yeah. even though they were revolting against his country. And yet, when he saw what was going on in France, he was like, hmm, you know, guys, I think you better pump the brakes on this one. When, yeah, dude, when there's a, a guillotine line and there's ladies crocheting the names of the next person to have their head chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, slow down, like, slow down. I'm getting back on the train, guys. I'm getting back on the truth train. This is... Well, this is... This, 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 this is, is consorted. That's why he's a very good example of something, a term I quite like, which is liberal conservative. Um because you're trying to conserve a liberal order. And America, because it doesn't know how to use words properly, has made that sentence sound completely impossible to a whole bunch of people. Now, how can you be a liberal conservative? Dude, no, quite because, easily, as it turns out. Because <laughs> you have, But you have to be quite radical in the sense that you have to be quite counter-cultural. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to be because, because uh, ultimately, I think... Uh, uh, all liberal conservatives are against revolutionary revolutionary activity in the sort of fashionable sense, you know, that kind of revolutionary, oh, this is what, we, this is the in thing, chopping off heads is the in thing right now. Dude, you know, radical, <laughs> the word radical is etymological root, I can't place exactly, but it, it fits well with the concept of a free radical, which is uh, that basically ion floating around in your microwave oven. So it's like it's left the group. It's just a little bit of energy that's floating around on its own course. It's a good thing to be sometimes. If the mob is going mm. mad, step back from the mob.
get out of the of the sort of galvanized group double think be your own be your own radical thing and you know what if you're doing your own radical thing in a reasonable way you're probably just like sitting in the same right. common sense centrist position as everyone else so according so, to online etymology dictionary uh radical means originating in the root or ground of body parts or fluids vital to life of having roots so oh, so I, yeah it's from a proto-indo-european word word which means like like a like anyway it it Going to the origin essential, it comes from, uh, and then it got adopted by the British Liberal Party at some point. Radical reform, as in like change from the roots. Yes. But, but so if you apply it to body politic, you can get the wrong idea, which is that you have to cut everything else down and out. But if you come at it from the right perspective, it's it's like the root and the seed. I'm not sure that it's just root. It's like <laughs> it's 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 that part which can re-flourish from its own beginning. <laughs> Which is what an individual is. You can be transplanted from your own, uh, from your own location to another location. As the roots come along, then you make it. It's interesting, though, that its its origin is very much in a Proto-Indo-European word. So, in other words, it's basically about as far back as we can. Oh yeah, trace it. It's for like something really earthy. Anyway, like, enough of that. Like, like the maybe the most radical thing is to hold someone else's hand. Oh, <laughs> did you see? I'm a radical centrist, and you think my problem is I want to blow up the world, dude. My problem is I just want—I do actually just want people to hold hands. <laughs> and on that note, all I can say is keep the flag of liberty flying. <laughs>